What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Abroad Pod. This is my fourth episode. It's hard to believe I've actually been doing this for a month. Who knew? <laughs> this is a project of mine that I started in quarantine, and of course, I would love to keep it up and release a new episode every week. But to be honest, I'm a little proud that I've made it a month. So here we go, four episodes strong. Today's episode is going to cover a couple different things that I am very excited to talk about. The first are tips for solo travel. I've done a few solo trips in the past and it's definitely a unique type of travel that's out of a lot of people's comfort zones. So today I'll be sharing some tips on solo travel, especially for all you females out there. And then I will be sharing one of my wildest travel stories. Buckle up! <laughs> Lastly, I will be talking about today's country and we are moving to a new region of the world today. So I will still be talking about North America for a little while, but now that I'm done with the US, Canada, and Mexico, and if you want to learn about those countries, listen to episodes 1, 2, and 3. Today is going to be the start of the Caribbean. So I'll be focusing on the Caribbean, which is still part of North America for a few weeks and starting with the Bahamas. So with all that being said, let's jump into the episode. Most of the information that I have to share on solo travel is from experience, but I also recently purchased Lonely Planet's The Solo Travel Handbook. And I love this handbook. It gives a lot of information, and today I'll be sharing a lot of that information with you. Lucky you guys, I paid 18 bucks for this book, and you're about to get all this content for free. So listen up. So I guess one of the first questions I have been asked that I want to answer for you guys is why go solo? Like why is this a huge phenomenon that a lot of travelers, especially millennials and Generation Z, are taking advantage of? Why would you want to travel alone? And here is my answer to that. So there's a lot of practical perks, and by that I mean you are completely in charge of your own schedule. You can go where you want, do what you want, and do it when you want. You're also free to meet new people. This is definitely a lot easier to do when you're traveling alone because you're more likely to put yourself out there. You can also travel at your own pace, meaning that if you want a purely relaxing vacation, you can lie on a beach all day long and no one is going to tell you to move. But also, if you want to sightsee and maybe your family, like mine, can be a little slow sometimes, you have the flexibility to go out and about at your speed and see whatever you want that day. So those are some practical perks. There's also what's called the personal journey. So solo travel offers the ultimate opportunity for self-reflection and development. You learn a lot about yourself when you're on the road, especially when you're traveling alone. When traveling alone, you can escape the influences of others and you can make your own decisions. I think you really get to know yourself when you're alone because you realize what you truly like to do. 
I think too, it's challenging. That's the third aspect. Why I go solo? A lot of people want to challenge themselves. Can I do it? Can I push myself out of my comfort zone in this way? And yes, you all can. A lot of people have hesitations about traveling solo as well. Maybe when you first listened to this podcast, you thought, oh, I would never do that. I'm not brave enough. It's not safe enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. I feel guilty about going alone. I'm scared I'll get homesick. I'm worried about the cost. These are some common concerns of people before they embark on a trip. And you can make a million excuses for not wanting to travel on your own. And you'll always find more. But you have to make the conscious choice to confront your solo travel fears. And I think it's something we should all do once in our lifetime. Okay, so if I haven't convinced you now to think about traveling solo, here are 10 things you learn about yourself while traveling solo. And this is directly from Lonely Planet's The Solo Travel Handbook. Number one, you learn what kind of traveler you are. Number two, you learn to be more open-minded. Three, you learn what your limits are. Number four, you learn to be comfortable being alone. Number five, you learn to take responsibility for your actions. Number six, you learn to trust your intuition. Seven, you learn what is important in your life. Number eight, you learn to live with less. Number nine, you learn who your real friends are. And number 10, you learn there is always room in your life for more friends. I love that. So now that you guys know a little bit more about solo travel and can see why so many people love it, let's dive in to actually planning the trip. So the first step is obviously choosing where you want to go and what kind of trip you want to have. And this is especially important for solo travel because some destinations are not great to be alone in. And by that, I mean maybe a romantic getaway to the Maldives is not best to take alone. However, I am in a Facebook group called the Solo Travel Female Network, and I will say that a lot of people have taken themselves to the Maldives for their birthdays, queens, (laughs) but when you think about your destination, I would think about a place where you can be surrounded by other people, maybe a city, and I will get into this, but think about staying in a hostel where you can meet others and maybe go get drinks with them, or you can ask, hey, what are you up to tomorrow? And if they say going to see XYZ, you can tag along and see it with them. So think about your destination and where you want to go and what kind of vibe you want. If you're going for a relaxing beach stay, obviously that destination will differ from a city. Solo trips are also all about timing. You want to ensure you choose the destination that's feasible to visit during your travel window. So for example, if you're trying to backpack and you want to see four European countries, I would highly recommend not trying to do that all in one week. (laughs) So you need to figure out your time and window. Don't rush yourself. Even though you are alone and you will be on your own schedule, you need to get the timing right. Also, when traveling alone, I recommend looking into events. In the place that you're going, are there any music festivals or, for example, the Tulip Festival in the Netherlands if you're trying to visit that? I would choose an event so that way you, again, can be surrounded by other people and you feel like you really have a reason to be going there. So now that you know where you want to go and when, 
the next step is grabbing the flights and then booking your accommodation. I'm not going to go through all this again because I spent all of episode 1 describing how to book a trip and those steps are the same regardless if you're going with your family or alone. But I will say a brief word about hostels and some questions you should ask yourself before booking an accommodation. So the first question is, what have past guests said about the place? Definitely read online reviews, especially when you're going alone. You want to make sure it's safe. You want to ask yourself too, what is the check-in and check-out time? Because you want to make sure you will get there and someone will be at the front desk to let you in. What security features does the hostel offer? Does it offer free Wi-Fi, and if so, where? Are there any hidden fees? Is breakfast included? Where are cooking facilities available? This is definitely important. You want to make sure that you have breakfast. That will save you money. And you also want to figure out if there's a curfew. A lot of hostels actually have curfews. It's just another safety measure. So you want to look into that as well. And even though I am going to do a full episode on hostels eventually, here are just a few more tips given by Lonely Planet. So this page I'm on is called Hostel Survival Skills 101. Here we go. Number one, embrace the hostel cafe. There is no shame in eating alone. And there's no shame in eating there if you don't feel like going out. I guarantee you the kitchen and the free breakfast are way cheaper than any meal you can get out in the street. Number two that I'd like to highlight, choose your bed wisely. I always go for the top bunk and yes, hostels have bunk beds, oftentimes with like 12 other people, but I always go for a top bunk so that if I move, sorry to the girl under me, but that way if I'm underneath, I don't need to get waken up by noise coming from above. The bottom bunk is easier to get out of if you need to go to the bathroom or whatnot in the middle of the night, obviously, but I usually go for the top. The third tip I'd like to share is use your locker. Every hostel room comes with your own locker, so you need to bring your own lock and definitely lock up any valuables. Opt for a dorm away from the hostel common area with as few beds as possible. This is huge for a quiet night's sleep. The hostel common area is usually like a college dorm lounge. If that paints the picture, a lot of people hanging out, usually drinking, it can get very loud and people tend to stay up pretty late into the night. So you want to try to pick a room that's down the hall and with as few beds as possible. Here is a hostel hack. The more people in the room, the cheaper it is, so that can be great. But also, if there are 18 people from all different countries sleeping in one room, you might have a hard time sleeping. Also, if you opt for a co-ed dorm, for some reason that is cheaper than an all-female dorm. I have slept in a few, to be honest, they're not my favorite, so I usually go for the female-only dorms, but regardless, the more dorm mates means a higher chance of late night interruptions. And here's the last tip on the page that really resonates with me because it is something I do every time I'm traveling alone. And that is have an overnight kit under your pillow. Like I said, it can be really annoying to have to get off your bunk. So I literally sleep with earplugs and eye mask so I can literally block out everything and everyone. Usually some sort of like Benadryl where like sleeping medicine, what else, chapstick, 
definitely water so you don't need to get out of bed in the middle of the night to get water my phone charger I sleep with my phone literally under my pillow because I can't trust anyone <laughs> and I think that's basically all earplugs eye mask the book recommends a head torch but if you have your iPhone with a flashlight you'll be just fine so just to wrap up my conversation about hostels, I really do think they're perfect if you're traveling alone because above all, they give you the opportunity to meet people. Hostels usually have a bar inside of them that can be very social at night times, and they also offer a lot of activities. The most common one, which I highly recommend doing no matter where you are in the world, is the free walking tour. I always sign up for this tour on my first day in the city because it's a great way to meet other people and to get to know the place that you're visiting. So definitely take advantage of hostels, the activities they offer. Also, hostels are usually staffed by locals who can give you any recommendation that you need. So now to talk about eating and drinking. So mealtimes have the potential to be the loneliest aspects of solo travel, but only if you let them. So some tips I have for getting a table for one. So I've gone out to dinner and lunch a few times when I was traveling solo and it can be a bit awkward, but here are my tips to overcome these feelings. So the first is to start small. So maybe just go out for coffee or like grab a quick bite for breakfast in a cafe setting because you'll notice a lot of people actually go to cafes alone. Once you've built up a bit more confidence, I recommend pushing yourself to try to get dinner. For some reason, dinner is the most taboo mealtime to dine alone. I don't know why it's the most intimidating, but I would definitely challenge yourself to take yourself out to dinner once in your life. I've done it twice, once in Australia and once when I was in Italy, and sure, I felt a little uncomfortable asking for a table of one and getting served, but it was honestly really enjoyable. I tried to stay off my phone the whole time, I didn't really talk to anyone, and I just enjoyed every single bite of my food. When I was in Australia, the only nearby restaurant to the hostel I was at was a pub, and this was a bit awkward because pubs are very social and to my luck there was a 21st birthday party (laughs) going on when I was there but I got a high top at the bar and I sat down and thank god there was a footy match Australian footy is a combination of like football and soccer and thank god there was a big match on so I could just sit at the high top and watch the tv and everyone minded their own business and honestly it was great I started chatting with the bartenders and I learned about their life. This was in Adelaide, by the way, which is in South Australia. So I was there alone for a weekend, and honestly, it was really fun. It was good to push myself out of my comfort zone. So I definitely recommend taking yourself out to dinner at least once in your life. If you do, try to stay off your phone. Maybe bring a journal. A lot of people will also read when they eat and just enjoy it. In terms of eating in, Like I mentioned, hostels definitely have a shared kitchen that you can use, and it's really common for people to just cook up a meal for one and then eat and enjoy it, and it actually can be a pretty social environment if you're cooking. You'll probably chat with other travelers who are doing the same thing. In terms of drinking, I would not recommend going out alone for safety reasons, but definitely push yourself to meet some new people when you're traveling alone. 
So there are two more topics I want to discuss before we pivot to my wildest travel story. The first is meeting people. So traveling solo is a great opportunity to learn to love your own company, but the global travel community is overwhelmingly a friendly one. Don't be surprised if you're invited out to dinner by a group of travelers you've just met, and also don't be afraid to ask to join in an activity. Travelers are usually a certain type of people looking to meet others. These are Lonely Planet's 10 non-awkward ways to meet people on the road. The first is definitely my personal favorite, and that is join a walking tour. I mentioned this earlier, but a free walking tour is not only a great way to get to know the city you're visiting, but it's also a great way to meet some new people. The people on the walking tour are probably also staying at your hostel, so that's a great way to meet new friends. The second tip that I want to share is to embrace hostels. So that's why I recommend hostels over Airbnbs because they are such cool shared places and great places to meet other travelers. Definitely check out the tours, dinners, pub crawls, and all the events that hostels offer. Another tip that resonates with me is take your meal at the bar. Sitting at the bar, although it might be challenging, is a great way to let other people know that you're open to socializing. And there's two more tips on here that I really like. So the next one is sign up for group tours. So I guess I haven't mentioned that yet, but that is a great way to travel solo if you don't want to be completely alone. You can sign up for day trips or multi-day tours and you can be with a small group and even though you are technically alone and you are not traveling with close friends, you are not entirely alone because you are with other travelers. This can be a really great way to meet people from all around the world and to feel safe. The last tip is a perfect segue into the next topic I want to discuss and that is offer to take someone's photo. If you spot another tourist struggling to take a selfie, or perhaps you see them taking a photo of a scene that would look better with them in it, offer to take a shot for them. I guarantee you by just sparking that conversation, hey, do you want me to take that photo for you? They will offer to take one for you in return. This can be a natural icebreaker for anyone and can be a great conversation starter. Continuing with the topic of photos, here are five steps to getting a stranger to take a great photo of Step one, choose the right person. Look for someone who is not in a rush and also maybe someone who is young, maybe female, who probably knows what they're doing and has an Instagram of their own. Number two, obviously ask nicely and remember to return the favor. Number three, Brief the stranger as best as you can. Let them know if you prefer the photo in portrait or landscape style and if you'd want them to zoom in or not. Number four, this is huge. Adjust your camera settings before you hand over your camera. If you're using an iPhone, this doesn't really apply, but if you have a camera, I definitely like to make sure I have my settings all set so the stranger just has to click the button. And number five, this tip is really great too, and it's actually something I've done recently, and that is invest in a tripod. If you're uncomfortable with a stranger taking your photo, 
get a tripod. That concludes all my tips for solo travel, and now the moment you've all been waiting for, my wildest travel story. Okay, I'd like to preface this by saying, mom and dad, I know you're listening. I'm fine. I made it home fine. You know that. I'm in my room right now. I'm fine. All right, let me paint the picture. I am studying abroad in Sydney, Australia. It is the spring semester of my junior year. I have a bucket list made, (laughs) and on my bucket list, it is to visit all seven of Australia's territories, and this includes the Northern Territory, aka the Outback. This was very high on my list, and I really wanted to visit before I came home. So a couple of the people that I was with said that they would go with me too, so I was like, great, perfect, girls trip. Well, we get to the end of the semester, there are only a few weeks left and a few hundred dollars in my bank account. (laughs) I am unable to find anyone to go with me and a time that works for all of us. So, I book a tour called the Rock Tour, which by the way, if you ever go to Australia, you need to do this. And I fly to Uluru alone. So I am flying at 5 a.m. from the Sydney airport to Uluru, Australia. My breakfast is a Mrs. Fields cookie. Yes, they have those down under. Okay, this flight was the most traumatic experience of my entire life. So I am flying into Uluru, which by the way, picture Mars, all red rock and sand, with a giant boulder that resembles a mountain in the middle with nothing surrounding it for miles. If you look to the left of the boulder, you see a small strip of tar. That is where we landed. So we are flying in and we are unable to land like a regular airplane does. We had to do circles around Uluru, which got some great photos up there. Also started to feel a little sick. (laughs) We had to do circles because it was so windy because there is nothing around that we could not land properly. So we were doing figure eights in the sky for, I'm not kidding, 10 minutes as we were probably dropping five feet with every figure eight until we were finally low enough and came in from like one of the figure eights and curved onto the runway. We literally landed, I'm not kidding, on one wheel and then flopped down onto the other wheel. If this doesn't just, you know, describe how the weekend is about to go, here we go. So I am now at the airport, feeling a little nervous, my adrenaline is pumping, I made it, here we go. I walk through the airport and I see several tour guides, and I hear my name. Nicole, is that you? I go, yes. And he goes, hi, I'm Mishka, I will be your guide for the weekend. Enter Mishka. Mishka is a 20-something-year-old Kiwi. Kiwi means he's from New Zealand. And he spends his days driving tours around the outback in Australia. He's on three days, off three days, on three days, off three days. Mishka greets me at the airport. I am the last one of the group to join. And he goes, great, we have a seat waiting for you. So I get on the van and that seat happens to be shotgun right next to him with everyone else in the back. This is my seat for the next three days. (laughs) 
And this was great for me for a couple reasons. I had the best view. Most of the weekend was spent road tripping from site to site, so the fact that I was in the front seat was really awesome for the views, but it also meant that all these long rides were spent talking to Mish. (laughs) The day kicks off and we leave the airport, I meet everyone, I soon find out that I am the only American on this tour. Everyone is from Vietnam, China, Australia, New Zealand, and various countries in Europe. So I introduce myself and I'm like, hey guys, I'm Nicole. And of course, they're all like asking me a million questions about Trump and God knows what. So anyways, the tour has started. I meet a lot of other solo travelers, which was really awesome. And a lot of the people on this tour were quite young as well. I quickly became friends with two people who were my age, a man from Paris named Flo and a girl from Germany named Anna. And by the way, if anyone from this tour is listening to this, dear God. Okay, so we arrive at the base of Uluru for our first evening stroll. Mishka is walking us and pointing out different carvings in the rock, like different aboriginal paintings. It's really awesome but the flies are so bad. Like, you guys, you literally have to wear a fly net. So here I am in my leggings, my kind of athletic sneakers. Meanwhile, everyone else is wearing hiking boots. I wore a sweatshirt, and I have a baseball cap on with a literal fly net that comes down my face and ties around my neck so that no flies can get in my eyes. So we do our first base walk, it's great, we do another walk, and then we see sunset, really awesome, and so beautiful to see sunset over over Uluru. The colors literally change from orange and red to like a deep purple right before the sun goes down, it, it really is beautiful. We had champagne, it was great. So it is now probably 8pm, we had dinner, and we are making our way to our camp spot for the night. I knew what I was getting myself into signing up for this trip. I fully was aware that I was going to be sleeping on the desert floor for two nights. However, I kind of assumed that we would be in tents, maybe in a campground situation, I I don't really know. So we get to the campground, which is literally just dirt as far as the eye can see and bathrooms. Thank God. So we're all setting up and we're all given a sleeping bag and a swag. A swag is a thick sleeping bag that your real sleeping bag goes inside to keep you warm. That's it. I had nothing above me. I was like really exposed. So we had to set up our beds. At this time, I'm really good friends with Flo and Anna, so I'm like, perfect. I will sleep right in between you guys. I have someone each side of me. I'm safe. And here is how that went. So I avoided setting up my bed for quite some time because, to be honest, I was really uncomfortable, not tired at all, really scared. We were all told to go out into the woods and find a stick. So I'm like, great, we're going to build a campfire. We come back with our sticks, and we are told to draw a giant circle around our swags. So I'm like, all right, what is this? So I'm drawing a circle really deep. Mish goes, great. That is to keep out snakes. 
If any snake were to come near your sleeping bag, they would sense the human activity, aka the line that I just drew in the dirt, and will go away. So I'm like, great, feeling a lot more comfortable about sleeping. Then he comes around with salt, and he tells us to fill that whole line that we just drew with salt. So I'm like, all right, whatever. He goes, that is to poison spiders. So if any spider comes to you in the middle of the night, it will touch the salt and it will die. At this point, I'm in the middle of freaking out, but also feeling a little bit more calm with these remedies until I go to the bathroom. I'm finally, you know, getting ready for bed. I'm putting on my pajamas and Anna is in the stall next to me and I hear her scream and I go, are you okay? She goes, no. I look down. There is a spider, I'm not kidding, the size of my hand that is all black with a red dot in the center crawling over her foot in the stall. She screams, we scream spider. Now there is a cleaning woman in this bathroom. God knows why we were actually in the middle of the desert. (laughs) But she comes running over and she goes, what's wrong? Anna goes, I saw this spider is on my foot and she points to it. And the cleaning lady goes, oh my god, get out, get everyone out of here now. Okay, I'm not kidding. We later find out that that spider is the deadliest spider in the entire world, and if that would have bit Anna, she would have died on the spot. And that was in the bathroom. So here I am thinking, if the deadliest spider in the entire world just crawled over my new friend's foot in the bathroom, indoors, where it is supposedly safe, What the hell is going to be crawling over our bodies tonight in these swags? I come outside, everyone's getting into their beds, ready to go to sleep, and I am visibly perplexed. I do not want to get into my swag. Mishka comes over and goes, what's wrong? And I go, oh, you know, just feeling, feeling a little scared. I'll be fine. I've never done this before. And he goes, Well, you know, if you're really scared, you can come sleep on top of the bus if you want with me. (laughs) Okay, so that just kind of paved the way for the rest of the weekend. I obviously said no and slept in my swag with Anna and Flo. It was honestly really funny. I had my literal baby blanket around my head because, you know, at that point, I just needed any feeling of comfort and home. And I slept with my boyfriend's sweatshirt, my baby blanket. I had my eye mask on, my earplugs in, and I did not look at anything or move the entire night. I did not want to know what was around me. There could have been wild dingoes around me all night, which are like the Australian version of a coyote. They're a wild dog. If I saw one of those, I would not have been okay. So I slept and we wake up and now it's the next morning and we do a full day of hiking. It's really incredible. We hike through this place called Cave of the Winds, and we make our way to the next camping spot. Tonight was actually really cool. I guess I should mention on the way, we did the most barbaric activity I've ever done, but it was honestly really fun. We pulled this van over to the side of the dirt road, and we all had to hunt for firewood. And when I say hunt, I mean find what you can because it's the desert. And we literally had to collect firewood, tie it to the top of the bus that I was going to sleep in. No, I wouldn't have. 
and then drive to our next spot. So we get to our next spot, we make a giant fire, everyone is helping to cook chili over the fire, it's honestly really fun. I'm talking to all the new people that I just met and learning what's bringing them to Australia. One couple was actually on their honeymoon, so good for them. We were just chatting, you know, it was great, and tonight was actually really cool. We all went stargazing, we did like this little like midnight hike, and Mishka pointed out the constellations, and for the first time in my life, I saw the Milky Way. So that was definitely a moment I'll never forget, and I slept fine tonight. It was probably because I knew it was my last night outdoors, but it was fine. So the whole next day, we do more hikes, we do a sunrise hike, so we actually start in the middle of the night, and then by the time we get to King's Canyon, which is the Australian version of the Grand Canyon, to put it in perspective, we are there at sunrise. It is by far one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. At this point, I've been off my phone for three straight days now, so I'm just enjoying the scenery and taking it all in. We have a five-hour drive to Alice Springs, which is the largest city in the Northern Territory. So while the rest of my companions get to sleep soundly in the back, I have to talk to Mishka for these five hours. In those five hours, I made it very known. I have a boyfriend. I'm here to sightsee. I don't want anything to do with you. He is obviously offended by this and whatever. So now we are in Alice Springs, and this is my third night of my solo trip. Before the group all parts ways, we decide to gather that night at the Rock Bar, which is apparently the most poppin' place downtown. It was us ten, Mishka, the crazy Kiwi tour guide, and a ton of aboriginals. Aboriginals are natives to Australia, and I got to meet so many of them tonight and talk to all of them, and we danced, and it was honestly really fun. I didn't care that I barely knew a single person in the room. It was a blast. Mishka took it to another level. He obviously bought us all shots. Well, I guess I should preface that we showed up at this rock bar at 6 p.m. for dinner and then just, like, never left. Like, I witnessed a restaurant transition into a bar, and I was probably there till, like, midnight until we all went back to the hostel because we had early flights the next day. This night was so weird. Mishka bought us all shots. So unprofessional. <laughs> and then he, again, was trying to make moves. I, I was like, no, thank you. And then Anna, who's the friend who I talked about from Germany, she made it very known that she also wanted nothing to do with him. We were just chatting, having a good time. I was learning all about her experience in Australia. And basically, he came over and was so direct he had this horrible mustache, by the way, like, horrible, and he told Anna that if he, you know, danced with her, whatever, that she could shave it, <laughs> and that, folks, is desperation. This is a fairly minute detail, but my friend Flo is a gay man, a gay Frenchman, and Mishka, at one point, was even making moves on him, so... That's why this story is just so hilarious because, you know, when you're just driving tours around the desert all day long with only a couple days off and those days off are spent in Alice Springs, 
I guess you have to just go for it. And to that, I say good for you, but also no thank you. So basically the night ended with me, Anna, and Flo dancing the night away, best of friends, Mishka alone, God knows where. I think he cried at one point actually, but yeah, we all went back to the hostel and I flew out the next morning to Perth in Western Australia and continued along with my solo adventure there. So that is the end of one of my wildest travel stories. I think it's a pretty entertaining one. I have many more up my sleeves, so if you guys want to hear another, just let me know. But now I'll just wrap up with a quick segment about the Bahamas. So I've actually been to the Bahamas a few times. The first was on a four-day Disney cruise, which was our first vacation ever as a family. And then I went back in college with my boyfriend and my family, and then I just returned again on a cruise last summer with my family and most recently I was actually there for my senior year spring break. The Bahamas holds a special place in my heart because that's the very last place I visited before COVID-19. And now for some facts about the Bahamas. So officially called the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, the capital is Nassau or as my friend Catherine likes to say, (laughs) Nassau. And the official languages are English and Creole. The currencies used in the Bahamas are the Bohemian dollar and the U.S. dollar. And a fun fact is that the Bahamas consists of over 700 tropical islands, but only 30 of them are inhabited by humans. So the territory that we know of as the Bahamas came under British rule in 1718 and remained that way until it got its independence in 1973. Today, the Bahamas is a popular tourist destination and attracts over 5 million people each year. If you haven't been already, I highly recommend visiting, especially if you're from the U.S. Nassau is only a 3 or 4 hour flight away from the north, and I think it's only like an hour flight away from Florida. You can also cruise to the Bahamas. That is a common trip to do, and cruises leave from a lot of the major ports in Florida as well. So now that you know a little bit more about this Caribbean country, and yes, the Bahamas is an independent country, I would like to share some of my personal recommendations. So the first two times I visited the Bahamas, I stayed in and around the Atlantis Resort. I'm sure you all know of the Atlantis. It is the giant, famous, coral-colored hotel with all of the water slides. They even have one that goes through a shark tank. So the first time I told you I cruised, and that was the excursion we did for the day. We just visited Atlantis. But the second time I went, we actually stayed at the Comfort Suites across the street. And this is a major travel tip for you guys. If you are looking to visit the Bahamas and you're on a tighter budget, because trust me, the Atlantis is very expensive, I highly recommend staying at the Comfort Suites. We stayed there, and by staying at that hotel, we actually got access to the Atlantis every day. We were given a wristband that we could wear and walk over the water park and use the amenities as if we were staying there. I think it's like a secret tip that not a lot of people know of that I'm sharing with you guys. 
So if you're looking for a place to stay on Paradise Island, I definitely recommend staying there. Aside from the water park, there's also a giant lazy river, a casino, lots of restaurants, and really fun nightlife. There's also the Marina Village, which is nearby, which has a lot of shops and restaurants that's really fun to walk around as well. The third time I visited the Bahamas was last summer, and I actually went on a cruise with my entire extended family to celebrate my grandma and granddad's 80th birthdays. Grandma and granddad, if you're listening to this, I love you, and it was such a fun vacation. So the trip took us to Coco Cay, which is Royal Caribbean's private-owned island. A lot of the major cruise ships have their own private island in the Bahamas. So, for example, Norwegian has Great Stirrup Cay, and Disney has Castaway Cay. So, we spent the day at Coco Cay, which is so fun. There's a giant water park here, too, and beaches with hammocks and jet skis you can rent. Most recently, I was in the Bahamas for spring break, and we stayed at the Breezes. Breezes Spa and Resort, even though I use that term loosely. This was definitely a college kid's dream. Do I recommend going there for your honeymoon? No, but it was really fun. It was an all-inclusive resort, so we did have all of our food and drinks included, and there was definitely a lot of entertainment during the day. A DJ came every day to play songs, and there was pool volleyball, beach volleyball, and a lot of contests, so it was a really fun spring break. We also did Blackbeard's Pirate Ship Booze Cruise, which I do recommend. We boarded it right across from Senor Frogs in downtown Nassau, and it was a sunset cruise. So we were probably out from about 5 to 7, and they give you unlimited rum punch, and it's on board a giant pirate ship. This was a blast. So that's pretty much everything I have to share about the Bahamas. Of course, I can go into more depth about my spring break, And who knows, maybe next February or March, I can even do a full episode on how to prep for spring break. 42 minutes later, we are now at the end of the fourth episode of the Abroad Pod. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed learning about solo traveling and maybe have a little bit of confidence to want to try it yourself one day. Even if not, try to take yourself out to dinner. Who knows, challenge yourself, get to know yourself more. I also hope you enjoyed listening to one of my wildest travel stories and learned a bit about the Bahamas. As always, please feel free to leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts and check out my blog, The Abroad Blog, for more travel tips and hacks. And also follow me on Instagram at Nicole.Rosania. Also, if you guys are interested in the book that I was referencing earlier, That book is Lonely Planets, The Solo Travel Handbook. Definitely check it out. I'll catch you guys next Wednesday with another episode of The Abroad Pod. Bye! (laughs) 